player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad that you could listen today. Uh, I'm attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner out of Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice in a variety of legal areas, uh, including civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property law, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school when you're as a young lawyer and all the things you may be facing uh, now that you've left a larger firm and that you're starting out on your own with colleagues in a smaller firm. Today's show, we're going to focus on the solo practitioner's unfair marketing advantage, social media. Joining me today is my guest, Attorney Carolyn Elephant founder and principal attorney uh, of the law offices of Carolyn Elephant and co-author of Social Media for Lawyers, The New Frontier, alongside with attorney Nicole Black. Carolyn's law practice is focused on energy work, including emerging renewable energy development and compliance enforcement issues, appeals, and civil rights litigation. Carolyn is also the creator of MyShingle.com, it's a popular web blog for and about solo lawyers and small firms. Welcome to New Solo, Carolyn. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, let's start off. Could you define social media and explain why would a new lawyer want to invest resources in social media? I guess the way I would define social media is that it's, I, I mean, te the technical definition is that it's a type of technology that supports interactivity over the internet. I consider it all of those tools that and platforms that are available that facilitate communication and interaction between lawyers and clients and can be used to build relationships. I think that one of I mean there there are so many reasons why newer lawyers should be looking at social media and they fall into two categories. I mean the first is just just substantively. Social media is really permeating so many different legal practice areas. If you do a web search on the term family law, you'll see that social media or Facebook comes up in like 300 of the cases. And so my feeling is that if an attorney isn't using social media, they can't even adequately represent their clients because they won't have a full understanding of the issues that their clients are confronting. The second reason for engaging in social media has to do with practice building, uh, building relationships with other attorneys, establishing expertise, finding information on your practice areas, and there's a whole litany of, of different reasons for why it's important to look at, for a newer attorney to look at social media. And, and just one more final thing, as a newer attorney, 
the ability to understand the technology and to understand social media can help you to perhaps make yourself more marketable to, to older attorneys who may not know about social media but who may want to get involved in it. You can bring your a newer attorney can bring those social media skills and perhaps the older attorney can provide traditional mentoring on legal practice and together you would mutually benefit each other in that type of a relationship. Which social media sites should a new lawyer who is embarking on hanging a shingle pursue? Well, one thing that my co-author Nicole Black and I emphasize in the book is that it's really important to not just haphazardly enter the social media space. You really have to understand what your goals are and what you want to do before you even start selecting sites. And so for that reason, it's very difficult to recommend a specific platform to an attorney without really knowing what they want to accomplish. A lawyer who wants to market to consumer clients is going to select platforms that are very different from an attorney such as myself who may be trying to attract business clients. Having said that, I do think that just generally speaking, uh, Nicole and I recommend that all lawyers have a presence on what we refer to as the big three, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. That will keep you covered. LinkedIn keeps you covered on sort of the business end. Facebook, you can either have a personal Facebook account for yourself where you friend other colleagues, or you can have one for your law firm, a, a Facebook page. Twitter, which uh, helps you get information and get news and also disseminate information, and it also feeds people uh can feed traffic to your blog. And then the the two other things that I guess I would say are maybe optional are uh, a, a, a lawyer-specific profile site like Avo or Justia. A lot of lawyers uh, I know have reported getting very good SEO from, from those sites and then also possibly having a blog, but, you know, sort of blogging as a topic unto itself and it really isn't something to, to be taken lightly. I mean, if you're going to blog, you really have to be very committed to it and you have to enjoy writing. And so, again, it's it's a platform that may be appealing to some lawyers, may serve some lawyers' goals, but may not work for others. So you would recommend the big three as opposed to having all uh, a, a, a larger group, say Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Avvo, um, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. You, you're saying it's better to focus on just a few when you're starting out. Is that is that fair to say? Well, I guess, you know, as I said, it really, it, it depends on what on, on what your goals are. You know, if, if a lawyer came to me and, you know, said that they wanted to just market a personal injury practice, you know, I might recommend to that attorney just to you know, produce a hundred YouTube videos, sort of like Jerry Oginski, who is a video, an attorney who is a medical malpractice attorney and coaches lawyers on how to use video. I mean, so it would depend on the specific information. The big three is sort of just a generalization. Uh, but I do think one, one mistake I think lawyers make when they embark on social media is they think that if they sign up for everything, it's going to give them, you know, better search engine visibility, more people will find them. And in reality, if you've signed up for, you know, like 15 different platforms and all but one are, are barren or just have the appearance of being a shell, it's really not going to be very effective. If somebody stumbles across you on, you know, Foursquare or or Plaxo and, and just sees your name and an address, that's really isn't going to motivate them to hire you. So there really isn't any point to 
spreading yourself out on a lot of different resources and then not using them regularly. What are a couple of examples of content that should be in a profile uh, for these social media sites and a couple items that should be avoided in a profile? Okay, I think that a profile should definitely contain a picture. No matter what platform you're on, you ought to have a picture. It can be a different picture depending on the profile. On Facebook, you might have a more casual picture. On LinkedIn, you might have a more formal picture, but definitely have a picture. In the internet age, there's a lot of suspicion about whether people are real or not. And while you can certainly go and take somebody else's picture and put it up there, I think the presumption is that if you have a picture, there's, you know, it's, it's probably you. You should have, if you have a website or a blog or other, uh, other information about yourself, you should have that information on your profile. You should have links to previous places of employment if you if you had a job before you started working links to to speeches that you've given um, to maybe videos that you have online you really want to uh, create links to your your presence in in different places so that when somebody comes to that profile they can basically get everything about you in in one place it's, it's very annoying for me to go to a lawyer's profile and um, you know, and not, not be able to link to their website and then have to go back on Google and go and Google them. It's just, it's just not very convenient. In terms of what not to include, I think that, again, different profiles serve different functions. So on a LinkedIn profile, which is very professional, you're probably not going to say that you've got, you know, a wife and two kids, whereas on Facebook or Twitter, you might include your, your family status in, in your description. So I think you want to have a profile that matches the general tone of the, of the particular platform that you're using. And how can you gain followers on Twitter or on a blog, or, or how can you gain likes or friends on Facebook? Uh, well, you know what? I don't know, and I don't think it's important. And here's why. I think that really your motivation for, for the site is to attract an audience that is going to be very interested in what you do. I have a blog on marine renewables, and I think it's, unfortunately, it's not as active as it had been in the past, but I think that at its best, I, I had a number of subscribers to the site, but on a daily basis, it attracted maybe 50 or 60 readers maybe 100 or 120 if it was linked to somewhere. But my following was so tight that when I went to conferences, people always came up to me. They said, oh, we're the huge fans of your blogs. We, we, we know who you are. I've been invited to conferences and quoted in articles just because of that. So even though my presence was very very narrow, it was, it was also very deep. I think that people with, with things like Twitter and, and Facebook and uh, and blogs, people are much too concerned with with traffic, with readership, with with likes. And the thing is, is you know, it's very easy to get likes or Twitter followers. If you want to get Twitter followers, you know what you can do. You can go on Twitter and just randomly follow five thousand people, and chances are half of them will follow you back, and you'll have twenty five hundred followers before you're out of the gate. Now, will that help you? No, because those are not the people who are going to use your services. They're not necessarily going to be reading what you say. They're just vanity followers. What you want to be focused on is providing interesting information and content and 
you know, and, and interacting with other people. And as you do that, they will come to you and they'll like your Facebook page or they will, um, they will follow you. The most annoying thing that I find the most annoying development with respect to Facebook fan pages is when you have colleagues who, you know, who basically spam you and they send you a link and they say, oh, please like my page. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's stupid. It's just another annoyance. I mean, if I go to a colleague's page, webs, you know, to their Facebook page, and I see that they're posting a lot of interesting stuff about their practice, yeah, maybe I'll go there and like it, but I don't want to be spammed. And then you multiply that by all the people you know. So I don't really think that's a very effective tool. And I don't think people are particularly impressed by how many likes you have. There was a lawyer who had a Facebook page. He got some notoriety in the press. He, it was like he put out a press release saying that he had 600 friends. I mean, who cares? It was just stupid. So I, I'm not a big fan. I'm not very impressed about, you know, traffic numbers and things like that. I don't think it's important. Focus on the content, focus on interacting with people, and the benefits will follow from that. Uh, are there ways to, to target um, people that are using and following you on social media? Uh, are, there, are there ways that you can gain clients and, and turn them into, um, from not just followers, but to actual real-world clients? Yes, there's there's a couple of things that you can do. I mean, first of all, you should, you know, from time to time, get a sense of who is following you on Twitter or who's reading your blog. Most blogs have um, analytics packages, and you can see where your traffic is coming from. And so what you can do, you know, with Twitter is, let's say you discover that there's somebody at a corporation who is who's following some of your tweets, maybe you'll see a news article about their corporation. So what you can, you can send it to them or email it to them or direct message it to them. Um, and, you know, and, and that helps to build a relationship. Let's say you're going to be in the same city as, you know, somebody who has emailed you and told you that they're a blog reader. You can set up a meeting with them. You want to use social media to not just you, you want to take some of the conversations. Uh, eventually, your goal is to take these conversations offline in order to get clients. And so what you can do is, you know, first initiate a, a conversation uh, with somebody, you know, either, you know, through Twitter, sending them articles, then maybe going back and forth on email, and then maybe agreeing to, to meet with them for some reason um, if, if you happen to be in a city with them. And so I think those are some of the ways that you can um, start to build a relationship and eventually have you um, eventually come to mind as as a potential uh, client for a uh, potential lawyer to represent them. And once you have a a blog or a Facebook site or or what have you, what in general uh, would you recommend a new lawyer uh, be posting on these sites? Uh, that is to, to clarify that a bit. Uh, what are people who are seeking a lawyer or other lawyers who want to refer a client looking for as as far as content? Well, you know, I I here's where I depart from all of the marketers. There's there's a whole science or this whole uh, cottage industry of advisors who will talk about, you know, keywords you're supposed to use and headlines and all kinds of organic links you're supposed to make. Personally, I think that what attracts somebody to a blog, that what makes a blog appealing is when you give useful information and you have a pulse. <laughs> um, there are a lot of people who ghostwrite blogs. They have people provide canned content and you can, you can tell that it, it's just, it's, 
very styrofoam-like and bland. So I think that what is appealing to uh, to potential clients when they come to a blog is finding a place where they see that somebody is answering their questions, where they feel like they know you, they feel like they know you as an attorney, that they understand what your um, what your opinions are like and what type of a person you are. And so I think that you want to write about legal issues. You want to write about them intelligently, but you also want to you know, give your opinion and have, have a personality. I think on things like Facebook, you know, again, it depends on what type of relationship you have with, with the people who you are connected with. I think if you have like a law firm Facebook page, you know, the kind of things people are interested in or, you know, maybe if your firm is sponsoring an event, maybe your, your law firm is, you know, your firm, if you represent like a lot of people in the immigrant community, maybe you'll do a link on your fan page, you know, to one of their businesses or things like that, you know, sort of have a a community for, for your firm. If you're on Facebook, I mean, people post a whole bunch of different things, you know, what they're doing with their kids, where they're going on vacation, um, you know, if they had a good day in court, just, just a whole variety of things. And, and also you don't always want to be the one who's putting the information out. I think on sites like Facebook or Twitter, people also like when you're engaged. So they don't just like when you're promoting yourself, but also when you're commenting on something that they've posted. How many updates should a blogger post to keep, uh, to gain and keep reader interest? Um, my own feeling, and I disagree, I, my co-author Nicole and I disagreed on this a little bit. I tend to think that starting out, if you really want to get yourself established, then for your first three to six months, you've got to be posting, I would say, three, maybe even four times a week. Nicole would suggest about one to two times. So, you know, call the difference, say, two to three times. I think once you've done that for three to six months and you get some traction, then you can start to relax and and maybe cut back. Now, the other thing, too, is that if you don't think you're going to be able to post that frequently, you can at the beginning just, you know, say, this blog is is a weekly. Every week we'll analyze a case or every week we'll add new content. And so that way people won't, you know, they'll, they'll watch for information every week as, a, as opposed to assuming you're going to be coming out with something every day. Well, we need to take a short break. When we return, more with Attorney Carolyn Elephant. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by Carolyn Elephant, founder and principal attorney at the law offices of Carolyn Elephant. Uh, welcome back, Carolyn. Uh, let me start by asking you, are there websites that can help maintain and organize your social media sites? That can organize your social media? I know there are um, a couple. I mean, most social media sites have... Um, tools to allow you to integrate your presence. Um, you know, oh, Hootsuite, I guess Hootsuite is one site that is sort of like a universal site that 
you know, you can see all your Twitter updates and Facebook posts. And then there are also sites that will, you know, you can syndicate your posts. So, for example, if some people, if they post something on Facebook, they'll have it set up so it will automatically post on Twitter or vice versa. So there's also those tools that you can use to coordinate your your uh, social media postings. How can a lawyer effectively use social media phone applications to uh, maximize promotion of their practice? Well, the beauty of the phone applications is that it really helps you to maybe not so much make the best use of your social media presence, but make uh, use it most efficiently. Uh, let's face it, most social media isn't rocket science, you know, writing 140 characters or posting an update on Facebook. And so you really don't want to take time out of your working day to post things on Twitter. But what the phone enables busy lawyers to do is to do posts while they're waiting for a case to be called in court. Or, you know, if, if you're, you know, um, a parent and picking your kids up and you've had to leave the office early, you know, waiting in the carpool line, you can do a couple of dispatches over the phone. You can check to see, you know, what's going on before you go to sleep at night or when you wake up in the morning. And so what the phone does, using the applications on your phone, just makes it easier to uh, give the appearance of a regular presence without detracting from your work day. What are some ethical issues or traps for the unwary that a practitioner should consider when using social media? Well, my feeling about ethics, and this is something we wrote about in the book, too, because we do have a chapter on ethics. There are, there are some red flags I'll discuss, but I think the biggest problem that lawyers have with social media is they think of it as something that's completely different. Um, our, our point in the book is that social media changes the media, not the message. And so the types of things that you do in, in the real physical world are not somehow insulated or, or made more ethical if, if it takes place on, on Twitter or social media platform. And that I'll give an example. If you're in a busy bar, you're not going to go screaming across the room to your law partner, hey, our client Joe just called. He, you know, had marijuana in his pocket at the court. You're just not going to do that. It violates confidentiality. Well, if you're not going to do it in a crowded bar, doing it in Twitter isn't going to make it right anyway, where you tweet it in front of, you know, God knows how many people who are, who are following you. So, you know, so that's one example. Uh, the same thing, you know, if you're if you're going to a cocktail party and you run into a judge, of course you're going to go and introduce yourself to the judge. You're going to say, how you doing, judge? You're going to talk about, you know, if you have a personal relationship with him, talk about your kids or, or whatever. And, you know, but at the same time, if you're in the middle of a hotly contested trial and the judge, and, and you see a judge who's sitting on, on the case, you're probably not going to engage him just to avoid an appearance of impropriety. So it's the same thing too on Facebook. You know, nothing wrong with lawyers friending a judge, but you know, if you're in the middle of a case, you're not going to start asking the judge, you know, do you think my client should, you know, should do this or that in court or, you know, what, what kind of impression is he making? Uh, so I think the best rule for social media is to just remember it's not the media itself that changes anything and makes it better or worse. It's what you use with it. And if you use some common sense and think about what your ethical obligations are in the real world, I think that you realize, you know, in social media, it's not diff any different. Um, the one sort of, I guess, I would call like a red flag area where things are 
kind of confusing right now is the whole issue of testimonials uh, because you have sites like LinkedIn where you can get endorsements from uh, from colleagues or from clients and also Avo where clients can post reviews and bar associations have for various reasons taken different uh, approaches to the propriety of that um, you know because there are some some bars that will not allow lawyers to put testimonials on their site. Some will allow them to put testimonials with certain caveats, and some bars don't have any rules on that. Um, my own personal feeling is that the bar association shouldn't be messing with what people are doing on third-party sites, but obviously that's not going to, you know, protect somebody from from an ethics claim. So when it comes to things like testimonials, I would I would um, that would be one area where I would advise um, consulting most closely with your. Uh, either bar counsel or, or the bar rules. The, the other practices, I think, are, are pretty much well governed by reference to, you know, just your conduct in, in the real world. Is there a best approach uh, that someone can take to inadvertently uh, forming an attorney-client relationship through social media? Well, again, um, you know, you can certainly, you know, if you're, if you're running a blog, you certainly want to you know, you you can make use of disclaimers. I don't put a lot of stock in disclaimers, but um, some lawyers are required to, you know, again, the blog is considered an advertising in some jurisdictions, so you have to have disclaimers saying, you know, nothing here is an attorney-client relationship. I guess if somebody, you know, say posts a comment on your blog and says, I read your post, um, you know, my husband is in jail, he did the things that you said he did in the post, what do you think I should do? I think there, if you were going to, you know, post a, re- a reply comment, you would say something like, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I can't offer you advice, but hypothetically, you know, this is this is what it is. I mean, you want to you want to give some some disclaimers in in that type of situation. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember, you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. A very special thanks to my guest, Carolyn Elephant, for joining me today. Carolyn, if someone wants to find more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? Um, You can get in touch with me either at my website, myshingle.com, or by email at carolyn at myshingle.com. And of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We're out of time. I would like to thank our sponsor, LexisNexis. You can find more information about LexisNexis at LexisNexis.com. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo Today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Cal Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. 
lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.